Well, what a privilege to be in Bentonville and to be a part of this celebration. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I've been praying for this day. You do realize that um, not many churches make it to 100 years. In fact, about 70 to 80 percent of our churches don't make it past 40 years. To make it to 100 years, something had to happen. The roots had to be down deep. The cultivation of the soil of ministry had to be continuous. And as you've demonstrated already this morning, there has to be a generational link that goes deep into the fabric of this local church. I am so honored to be here today. I'm honored uh, beyond words because there are so many things I've heard about this congregation and I've known so many of your previous pastors. I've followed this church quite closely, frankly. Uh, as a general superintendent, in one case, I served for a little bit as a district superintendent and we tried to snatch your pastors away. <laughs> You've done a good job at making pastors out of people. And the pastors you've chosen have done a great job of making saints out of people. And so today, we are reaping the benefit of what has gone on for over a hundred years. A few uh, days ago, a few weeks ago now, I got a, an email message from a, a close friend of mine who was a member of the church there at Kansas City First Church, one of the great laymen in my experience as a pastor, Brad Moore. Uh, his grandfather was J.E. Moore, the district superintendent, who uh, was behind getting the, uh, the group together, the revival together, and came here. And he sent me a copy of that, the, the minutes of that note that said he came for the express purpose of organizing this church. And from that point... This church has been a vibrant center of the work of the Holy Spirit. So I want to say congratulations to you on behalf of the Church of the Nazarene around the world. Because from this congregation, you literally have touched the world. It hasn't been just a community thing. You are the community church of the Nazarene, thanks be to God. But you have literally touched the world. And even represented in this congregation today are people who have been a part of the work of the Church of the Nazarene around the world. But you've done something here. In fact, you didn't move away from your mission field. You anchored yourself in your mission field in such a way that you are right here, still doing it and still proclaiming the message. And I'm looking forward to being here the next time you celebrate the next hundred years. I'll be looking forward to it, but I'll be looking down on it from someplace else. But, but my prayer is this, this will not be the last centennial celebration for this local church, that what you have started will continue. We have the promise in the Old Testament, we've heard about it already generation to generation, the Lord who proclaimed his name to Moses in Exodus chapter 34 when he gave Moses the revelation of God's self, the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, maintaining love to the thousandth generation, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The Lord, 
Well, you're about five generations in. You've got a long way to go. But the promise you have is this. He will still be here. Thanks be to God. Well, I'd like to ask your attention to the book of Acts. I want to talk to you about a church, a local church. A, a local church that probably, for me at least, is one of the most instructive stories in all of the book of Acts. This is the story of the Acts of the Apostles, it is entitled. I would prefer, if I could do it, to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because from start to finish, this is not just the work of apostles. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's that work going on here that has kept this church here for a hundred plus years. So I'd like to ask you to turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Acts with me. I, I wish I could just read chapters nine, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Do you have time? It's quite a story. But let me begin it right here. Now, verse 19 of chapter 11. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen, let me stop right here. You remember Stephen, the first Christian martyr, stoned to death by the crowd. And uh, as a result of that stoning, great opposition arose against the followers of Jesus there in Jerusalem, and so they scattered everywhere. Thanks be to God for some scattering experiences. Because by the very nature of the mission of Jesus, when we are scattered, we plant seeds. And it always reaps a harvest. Because it's not up to us, it's up to the Holy Spirit working through us and in us. And so they were scattered because of Stephen's death. But listen to this. Those uh, who were scattered uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia. Oh my goodness, we're talking about a foreign country, Gentile world, Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean, and Antioch. Now, stop right here for a moment because Antioch, there is something significant about the fact that reference is made to Antioch. At the time, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, second only to Rome and Alexandria in Egypt. Antioch, I, well, let me just quickly give you the best way to understand Antioch. Ever heard of Las Vegas? <laughs> Antioch was the Las Vegas of the, of the Roman Empire. It was known for its immorality. It was known for gaming, gambling. It was known for being a place where uh, what happened in Antioch stayed in Antioch. We understand that, don't we? That, that kind of culture. It's the kind of place, it might be the last kind of place you'd go to plant a church. It would be an uphill pull all the way. And so we read, they traveled as far as Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. So everywhere they went, they went to synagogues, and they were trying to convince the Jews that Jesus, the word they were talking about, is the word about Jesus, the message about Jesus. They, they spoke to no one except to Jews, trying to enlighten them to the fact that Jesus was indeed the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. But among them were some men of Cyprus, that's that island out in the Mediterranean, 
and Cyrene. That's, that's uh, what we now know of as Libya, on the, on the northern coast of Africa, the continent of Africa. It's on the other side of the Mediterranean. If you read the second chapter of the book of Acts, you realize that on the day of Pentecost, there were people there from Cyprus and Cyrene of all things. They were there from Ethiopia. We know that. They were there from all parts of the Arab world. That's referenced in the second chapter. So they were from everywhere, but they heard the story of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it transformed them. They went back to their home areas utterly rearranged. So these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, a center of trade, a major center of trade, spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks, those who spoke Greek, those who did not have any Jewish background, who did not have any Hebrew or Aramaic. They were those who were surprised at what they heard when they were in, Pentecost, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and heard those, those Jewish people who normally spoke Aramaic or Hebrew speaking in their own languages from Cyprus and Cyrene and every place else you could name. It was an astounding thing to them. And now those men have come back to Antioch, back across the Mediterranean, and they arrived in Antioch, and they got to Antioch doing what apparently they were doing everywhere they went. They told the story, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in, Kansas, in, in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. That, that is crucial. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. This uh, radically transformed Jewish opposer of the faith who had come to Christ. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians, Christ people. The church in Antioch. <clears throat> How did we get there from here? How on earth do you plant a church in Antioch? Well, <clears throat> I've come to this conclusion through 60 years of ministry. There is no person and no place beyond the reach of God. Can I say that again? There is no person and no place beyond the reach of God. Do we really believe that? You and I sometimes talk about God-forsaken places. Dear friend, there are no God-forsaken places. God does not forsake any place where there are people. And so here is God at work in an unusual way, in an unusual place. I've mentioned already that Antioch was the... Uh, 
was the center of immorality and gaming and profligation of every conceivable kind. And now uh, they've got these believers kind of creeping in. Antioch would have been the place that most Jews would have said, don't go to Antioch. Stay away from places like that. But there's something about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Something happens when the Holy Spirit begins to actually go to work in us. And we can't stop going to places where the Holy Spirit opens wide doors. About 101 years ago, someone found a wide door in a little community called Bentonville. Bentonville. You do realize that was before Walmart. What was there to recommend Bentonville? I can tell you exactly what was there to recommend Bentonville. People. People. All kinds of people in the 2,000 people who were residents in Bentonville. And God began to do something there. When God begins to do a work that, that really is a, a work that is empowered by the Holy Spirit among people whose hearts and minds are open to the very core of their being, God can plant deep roots in rocky soil and reap a wonderful harvest. And it happened here. I've read the story of the Church of Antioch over and over again. Everything I can find about Antioch, the city, and the Roman culture that was there, and all the other things about that part of the world, the more I read about it, the more astounded I am that God could do what he could do there. And he did, of all things, can you imagine, what he did. And in those places, when God is at work in the way he was at work in Antioch, something happens. Now, there are two characteristics I think are particularly significant, and I wanted to talk to you about them because I think I see the trajectory. As I walked through that centennial hall out there and looked at every one of those places, it, it dawned on me that what I keep discovering in this book has been at work right here, profoundly, powerfully at work. First of all, those men from Cyprus and Cyrene were absolutely committed to the mission of Jesus Christ. Please understand this. We, we hear references here to the work of the Lord. They're talking about the Lord. And we're, we're talking about people who are from Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit came and all the things that were going on there. But the thing we need to remember is that the scandal of all of the New Testament is that the Old Testament God who revealed himself through the book of the law and in so many other ways, finally and fully revealed himself in a Jewish carpenter who was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth and never had any pretensions to becoming a king, who it turned out was not only the king, he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who was God himself in flesh. And these men from Cyprus and Cyrene 
had an encounter with the living Christ. I have to tell you, if you have really had an encounter with Jesus, you will never be the same again. <clears throat> now, here's, here's a problem for many of us. If you and I have grown up in the church, I was born in a parsonage, for goodness sake. I've been raised on this stuff. I know the language inside and out. I could preach before I was ever called. I, I just knew all the words. But there came a day when I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I was, a, I was a teenager. I was going through a period of uh, pretty significant self-discovery. And in self-discovery, by the way, those of you who have children who are not yet adolescents, prepare yourself. There's going to come a season, a normal natural season. Don't be afraid of it. Don't run from it. Embrace them in the midst of it. There will come a season when they have to begin to find themselves. And in finding themselves, they might just find Jesus. In my case, I had that encounter. I will never forget it. I went to the altar not knowing what to expect, but desperately hungry to find out what it is that made me tick. And the next thing I knew, Jesus walked into my life. It was stunning to me. It was frightening to me. It rearranged everything about me. My mind flipped and twisted. And I lived for days in a kind of afterglow I don't even know how to describe to this day. But I do remember that I felt like everything in the world had changed. I have an idea that that's the kind of thing that has happened in the lives of these men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They were committed to the mission. They were so incessantly committed to the mission that it didn't matter where they were. They've gone to Antioch of all places and they spoke the word to Gentiles. Be careful who you take the gospel to. They might just believe it and meet Jesus and you've got a problem on your hands. That's what happened here. The church in Jerusalem heard that Gentiles were coming into the church. What is going on here? Can you do that? I love the men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Apparently they were more willing to ask for forgiveness later than to ask for permission first. And they spoke. And eventually this man Barnabas, a man full of the Holy Spirit, the one who, by the way, in the earlier chapters in the book of Acts, is the one who in Jerusalem took Saul under his arm and introduced him to the believers because they were all terrified of Saul because he was the one who had been destroying the church. And now it's uh, a bit later and someplace else and Barnabas sees the Holy Spirit at work, he saw the grace of God. And the description we have of Barnabas is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's go back for a moment. These people were passionately committed to the mission of Jesus. What is the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus is defined for us 
in three particular places, not only these three, but in three particular places, I want to quickly point out. Number one, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. I call it the Constitution of the Kingdom of God. Whatever other constitutions you may be loyal to, please do not be more loyal to that constitution than to this one. The constitution of the kingdom of God is the Sermon on the Mount, and it is the message of the early church. For the first 300 years of the early church, this was the message. You were to hear the Sermon on the Mount, because this Jesus who preached this, this thing, this message, was the Jesus who was going to change the world. And you had to get this down right, and you had to live like Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. How are you doing? The Sermon on the Mount. The 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The, the work of the kingdom. Jesus in talking about the judgment of the nations talks to them about um, feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, attending to the sick, and visiting those in prison. That's the church. That's the mission of the church. That's what the church is all about. Don't talk to me about this kind of thing that says we, we are more involved in spiritual things. Jesus said those things mattered enough that if you don't do them, you'll be on the dark side. We have to do that. What are you doing with a food pantry around here? You're following the call of Jesus. But you're doing that in order that those who receive the food will ask, why do you do this? And you can say, thought you'd never ask. Let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, there is that other place in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Go make disciples, and here's the Greek, pinta ta ethne. We sometimes have kind of turned it into uh, taking the gospel to other nations that are defined by boundaries and flags. But the root word there is not nations like that, but pentata ethne, ethnicities, to all the peoples of the world. There is no one beyond the reach of the grace of God. Whoever they are, whatever the color of their skin, whatever their culture, whatever their language, they belong to Jesus. And it is our place to take the message there committed to the message. Quickly, they were intimately involved with the Holy Spirit. Turn to chapter 13 briefly. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. And here's what he said. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. 
The second characteristic of the church in Antioch that I think may be the core of it all was their amazing, profound intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You know, this isn't a bad building. It looks pretty good. You drive up outside, it's impressive. You've built some incredible facilities. But don't fall into the trap of field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. No building ever saved anybody. But a people filled with the Holy Spirit. Whether they're in tents or cathedrals, people filled with the Holy Spirit will be the avenue through which God will change the world. That's why we exist. And for a hundred years, something has happened here. The work and power of the Holy Spirit can be tangibly seen. Look at the generations that still are living out the faith that was discovered in this place where the message of heart holiness was preached and lives were utterly transformed and people went out from here to touch the world with the message of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. There have been people called into ministry from this local church because the Holy Spirit is at work and you're giving opportunity for people to hear the work of the Holy Spirit as he is drawing them to himself and drawing them into a more and more likeness to Jesus Christ. They were intimately acquainted, involved with, immersed in the Holy Spirit. That was the hope of the church in Antioch. By the way, I mentioned that uh, Antioch was an unusual place. You could never have imagined that Antioch would be the place where the church would ever find its footing. But you do remember that probably within about 20 to 25 years from the time this event occurred in Antioch, Jerusalem was sacked and burned. And for probably a decade there were only a few stragglers living in the city that it was so totally destroyed that it was without life. So where does the church go when the Jerusalem had been the center of the church where the Holy Spirit came? Well, for the historians, it's an amazing story. Because the center of the church, the fruitful center of the church, the center from which missionaries began to go, Barnabas and Saul, Paul and Silas, and others that went literally around the Roman world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, it all flowed out of the church in Antioch. And it became such a center of the Christian faith that for the next, listen to this, 800 years... Antioch was a center of holy fire. We've been here a hundred years. We look back at a hundred years and think, boy, that was a long time. But don't forget that Jesus intended the church would never stop. 
It's been 2,000 years since Jesus' suffering death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And to this very day, the intention of God has always been that the church would never stop, but that every place it is planted, from that place it is planted, it moves into the world and changes the world. You see... The church spread not really from Jerusalem. It spread from Antioch in the first 300 years. Oh, Alexandria and other places in the Roman Empire began to have vibrant centers of Christianity. But for the first, for the first 800 years of the church after this, many of the creeds that are the very definition of the beliefs of the church were in their earliest forms debated and discussed in Antioch. So I want to ask you this question. What are you doing today to plant seeds so deeply into this soil that 800 years from now people will be saying, do you remember the early church in Benton? Bentonville, that place in northern Arkansas, that from that place, God got a foothold, and it didn't last just a hundred years. It lasted for a thousand generations. If all we do today is look back, we've missed the point. If all we're going to do is celebrate what has been and forget what God has in mind. We could miss it. But follow the mission of Jesus. Develop a deep intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully when in your prayer and in your fasting, the Holy Spirit desires to speak. And when He speaks, obey. And it just may be that a thousand years from now, They'll be celebrating what God did in this place starting a hundred years ago. And all the people said, Amen. Thanks be to God.